Chapter 7 Turns out the problem wasn't Mars or his bar, but that the closest portal was in the palace, and because of my inadvertent act of murder, I wasn't going to be welcomed with open arms. I asked Mars if he had any knowledge as to why I wound up there, and he was as clueless as me. When I asked him if he'd consider leading me to the portal, he refused on the grounds. He was settled here and quite happy. If he stepped all over the toes of the ruling family, it would not be good for business. It seems, according to the local scuttlebutt told to him by those patrons he was hobnobbing with, that the powers that be were still deciding what to do about my little interruption. Mars considered this one advantage of the three-way truce. If the family currently in power overstepped, the other two would take that as a signal to pounce. Then he apologized for having to remain being seen as a neutral. I understood. I wasn't all that happy about it, but I understood. The Casablanca resemblance was more than skin deep. The girl, on the other hand, was not only willing, but eager to help. Through Mars' translation, she was very aware of where the portal was because she'd been taken through it to be given to the priests. A thought occurred to me after the girl made her offer. Um, what about the mob? Even if I paint myself red, I won't pass. I'm not built that way. He smiled. How about pink? So I found myself being dyed flamingo pink and fitted with a fat suit containing inflatable chambers. The end result was that Mama Mandolin's baby boy wound up looking like an ambulatory beach ball, just like old Pinky. Mars gave me directions to the entrance of the palace that would get me closest to the facility that housed the portal. The plan was that the girl would be my translator, as I was a Jovian who, through being renowned mediator, was also not fluent in the language of Ares. The girl also got a makeup job since we couldn't risk her being identified as the escaped sacrifice. In her race, there is a condition considered quite unattractive and which would also immediately disqualify her as being of sacrificial status. On Earth, we call them freckles, and on her, I found them to be rather sexy. I kept that opinion to myself. It can be damn frustrating to be attracted to a girl who would literally die in your arms. She was given detailed instructions, at least I think so. I was again left out in the cold where the language is concerned. There were a few words I think I recognized, but I'd already proven that my trying them would only embarrass me. After dropping a handful of the local currency into my hand and giving me a box of the dried coca leaf cubes, Mars opened the door and sent us walking out into a surprisingly mild Aries pre-dawn. I looked around. There was no sign of the mob, no sign of anyone, really. From where I stood, the market looked empty. Its stalls shuddered for the night. The girl plucked at my arm, saying, She pointed off to my left where a beggar sat against the wall of a building. A chipped bull was sitting on the street next to him. The beggar was one of the green folk, but his coloring had a lot more of the gray tinge to it. I say this because the loincloth didn't cover near enough. Through gestures, the girl indicated I was supposed to drop something into the bowl. Custom or superstition, I suppose. I held up my hand with some of the coins in it. She selected the smallest one and dropped it in the bowl and then made another gesture that had all the earmarks of ritual. I copied it, which earned me a smile of approval. See? I can learn. The beggar, whom I took as sleeping, returned the gesture, adding a soft... I figured that was their word for thanks. 
The girl led me through a maze of narrow, bland streets completely void of decoration. The only break I saw in any of the architecture was the high, narrow windows, each of them about a foot high and roughly three feet long, and all at the same height above the street. Above us, the sky remained the same sullen deep brown it was when we left Mars Bar. I was hoping we'd be able to get into the palace without having to deal with any of the locals other than the beggar. I really should stop sending that type of signal into the universe. It just encourages them. We turned a corner, which gave me a clear line of sight to the palace. It also put us right into the path of a warrior troop out on its early morning patrol, or whatever they do. The non-com in charge raised a fist and stopped the patrol, right after we moved to the far side of the road, hoping they just passed by. Uh, no such luck there. At attention, they looked like a playset of Chinese crockery warriors that had been stretched like Play-Doh. The leader fixed us with a flat stare and then looked more closely at the girl. Making an expression of disgust, he backed away and then got the patrol marching again. Was it the freckles? Shitlin, the girl snarled the word. She used it before in the Jovian I nicknamed Pinky. I'm pretty sure it wasn't a turn of endearment. Yeah, I whispered. Shitlin. She looked up at me and grinned. I must have gotten close enough this time. Why is it cussing is always the easiest part to master in any language? Two more patrols crossed our path as we neared the perimeter of the palace, but neither of them even gave us a second chance. I think the second one ignored us entirely. It was only when we began walking up the slow, shallow ramp that led into the palace proper that we became the center of attention. A guard, one of the green ones, sidestepped from his post to place himself right in front of us. After sneering at the girl's freckles, he barked a question at me. Well, I thought, here is where we learn how good the plan is. When I didn't reply, the guard asked again louder, with a raised fist. The girl spoke up, putting herself between me and the guard, and let loose with a string of syllables, clicks, and whistles, sometimes pointing at me as she spoke. The guard asked her a question and then finished with a term that didn't need a translation. The way he said it was insulting, and the stiffening of the girl's shoulders confirmed it. She looked at me, and I went into my pomous ass act. Greeting my broadest and cheesiest grin, I bowed slightly. From what Mars told me, certain aspects of this culture mirrored that of Japan, a culture based on much the same foundation, that of warring families overseen by a strong, single ruler. The depth of the bow indicated the amount of respect one had for the bow e. As my level of respect was into negative numbers, I gave him a slight forward jerk, and that was it. The other guard made a choking, chuckling sound, which told me the barb had struck. The girl asked the question again, pointing at me, and then finished with another word I remembered. Sutra. Sutra. The guard stiffened. So did the other one. I nodded, a single, low head bow to the girl, as they did. I hoped that would mean that this particular mute Jovian mediator was backing the girl's statement. It worked. They stepped to the side and kept their eyes front and centered as we passed them into the palace. Even at the early hour, the palace was bustling. Locals in all three main colors hurried back and forth on unknown business. Some of them carried bundles, others looked like they were heading somewhere at speed to pick up a bundle. Keeping with the apparent Ares ideal that less is more, the interior of the palace was practically sterile. Not a single item of artwork or weaving decorated the walls. 
No tile graced the floor, and anyone looking for a flourish of any kind would die of old age in their quest. It was absolutely depressing. The girl tugged me to the right, whispering, Hist-uh, hist-uh. Yeah, little lady, hist-uh. I was beginning to sweat. The fat suit didn't have much in the way of breathability and had a whole lot of insulation. I hope Mars' makeup was waterproof. I followed her lead, and we passed through the far right of a series of narrow arched openings. The one we went through led to another smooth ramp. This one had a long arc to it, with more of those narrow windows about twice my height off the floor. Every 30 feet or so, another arc intersected the ramp. When I stopped to look down one, the girl plucked my arm and shook her head. Seems our goal was several stories higher. The fourth or fifth arc we passed had more of the locals way down the hallway, or whatever the hell it was, just as the previous did. None of them looked like guards or warriors, and a few were obviously female, as no one on Ares seemed to have invented the bra. Those cross straps didn't offer much in the way of support. I was getting ready to keep on hiking when I heard what sounded like English. Hista-ah, the girl urged. I held up a hand and shook my head. Her mouth opened to voice an objection, and then it shut when she saw my expression. Nodding to her, I walked into the hallway. This one looked a bit familiar. It had those jewel lights I saw after being released from the cell I woke up in. The locals, mostly reds this time, turned to look at me as I passed through the arch. Probably because a tinkly chime sounded when I did. Their version of an alarm, I guess. When they saw me get up, most of them returned to whatever arcane task they had at hand. One did not. He had the same look as the red who took me out into the compound. As he approached, he asked a question that for all the world sounded like, And what can we do for you today, mediator? I looked back and signaled for the girl to come forward. Thankfully, she did, and I didn't have to reveal the fact that I was the rampaging Arthman in disguise. The guard nodded and turned to the girl. Let me out of here, or by hell's teeth, I will blast this cesspit to its foundations! That wasn't just English being billowed, it was a voice I knew. It was tiny. Well, that changed everything as well as opening up a whole new can of unanswered worms. First of all, how could they possibly keep the guy who was also the Norse god Odin captive? In the back of my mind, the Twilight Zone theme began playing. Plan totally out the window, I called, Tiny, this is Tony. Try to rap on the wall or something so I can tell which one you're in. Tony? Tiny's voice came from my right. How did you wind up here? Something hit my shoulder and I flinched. A round lump of metal attached to a cord of some kind just missed my head. What the hell? I grabbed the cord and pulled it off me. It parted like sewing thread. A guard was whirling another one of those things. A bolo, perhaps? While another guard had the girl by her arms. Well, if that's the way they wanted to play it. Excuse me, Tiny. I need to tear up some guards. Go get them, lad. I grabbed the next bowler that came wafting my way and sent it back with a good sidearm whip of my arm. Okay, I was miffed. Again. I seriously did not mean to have the thing mow through the packed guardsmen like a rotary saw. The girl was uninjured, but I seriously doubted I'd be anything but a monster in an eyes from now on. She was covered in guardsmen gore. When I reached down to help her up, she flinched back, crying out in fright and horror. I hoped Tiny would be able to do something. She couldn't stay here. Associated with me, she'd be killed on sight. Tony! Tony, you all right? I ripped off the fat suit and the rush of cool air was almost orgasmic. I still had my coat and all its assorted toys. I pulled out the gun, 
figuring that if my hands could do that much damage, how much would a tactical armor-piercing load do? Knock on the walls, Tiny, I yelled. The answering raps came from the one just to my left. It had a jewel-like growing gold. High-value prisoner, maybe? All right, I yelled. Get up against the side. I waited, and his voice came from my right. I'm ready. Aiming low at about knee level, I pulled the trigger. Now the 5.7 punches a hole about the size of a 22 in most anything. The exit wound is the one that surprises most folks. Well, that's how it worked on Earth. Up on Ares, the wall reacted like it had been slammed with a 20 millimeter howitzer shell. I aimed higher, twice more, and opened up what amounted to a doorway. Tiny peered around the corner of the opening. You done? he asked. What are you doing here? I asked back. And how did they manage to keep you caged? I mean, come on, Tiny. I've seen the other you. He looked a little embarrassed. I woke up here. Someone or something must have moved me in my sleep. I think there's some sort of spill in the walls that cuts about my connection with Yggdrasil. In here, he jerked his thumb, I was just a man. No power at all. I said, I've been told the science of these folks is about a thousand or more years ahead of Earth. Perhaps I've got something like a force field. Tiny looked disgusted, and he muttered, Science. Regardless of the race, all it does is create trouble. I wasn't going to argue. Yes, it was a narrow-minded opinion, but it was also founded on seeing what the baser types did with the stuff. Tiny stretched and breathed in. As he did that, I saw a whole bunch of guards forming up right outside the archway from the ramp, and they had brought toys that looked just like guns out of a sci-fi show. The girl was cowering on the floor, crying, Uh, Tiny, can you help her? He glanced at me and rumbled, of course. Ignoring the assembled ray guns, he strode over to the girl. As he did, he changed. From one foot to the other, he went from Tiny to Odin. The Ares officer barked an order and the ray guns fired. They may as well have been using flashlights. The beam splashed against something between Odin and them. He bent, picked the girl up, and turned to face me. He said, we'll have to get her home. She can't go where we're going. Yeah, I sighed. I already know that. As we walked away from the ever more frustrated locals, I said, You know, a thought just hit me. Could this have been one of Loki's pranks? Tiny nodded. Possibly. I'm going to have to have a long talk with that boy.